In the book of Acts, starting in chapter 16 and verse 11, I want to read a few of those verses there uh, that will launch us off into today. And then I want to pray over the word as we receive it. In chapter 16 and verse 11, it says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we find in it for our life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes to the wonders of it today as we look into it, as we incline our ear to what you would say to us individually, each and every one. I think you're able to translate to each heart that which we have need of in Jesus name. Amen. So again, we've been in the book of Acts and we've gone through uh, 15 chapters now. Uh, so, but if it's your first time joining us, here's everything you need to know. After the resurrection, after Christ spent time with his disciples for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church to be his witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we see the church begin to spread and grow just like he said that it would from that place out into the whole world. And we see the gospel, the good news going forth and many receiving it with gladness and their lives being transformed. And we see others resisting it and rejecting it and that resulting in persecution for those who are carrying the message. And we see churches being planted and them also sending out missionaries to plant more churches. And this is talking about this morning, a missionary journey of Paul and Silas and a few other brothers that went with them, including Luke, who would write about it. And when they would go to a new city, like it said in verse 11, they would go to where people were already seeking the Lord. He said we were looking for a place of prayer. We were looking for a gathering of those who are seeking God like what we have here today. And so they went and found a prayer meeting. And there at the prayer meeting was a woman named Lydia who was a wealthy business person, a dealer in purple cloth. Which there's a reason why purple cloth was designated for royalty. It was so expensive to make and then they would sell it at a high, high price. She was a, a dealer of purple cloth from Thyatira, a port city there in the area. And she was there and heard the message. It says the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was preaching. And she heard and believed and that resulted in a blessing for the missionary. So Lydia was a successful person. She was even religious, but she didn't yet know Jesus. 
And so we're going to look in, when you go through the book of Acts, it, it gets repetitive. You start to see the same thing happening over and over again. We go to a different place and we preach the gospel and some receive it and, and, and that's amazing and some reject it and they persecute those who are preaching it. So it's, it's recurring over and over, but we want to look into the lives and the details of the people that it's happening to because I think we can find ourselves in some of these identities. Some of us were like Lydia. We were around the church. We were around uh, religious things, but we didn't yet know Jesus much, even though we'd had success. And even though uh, we had been religious and around the church, how much we still needed him. And a lot of us come from that position of Lydia. And then they go further into Philippi and the verses we'll read next to find our second person that we're going to look at today. A little stretch here that I want to read starting in verse 16. He says, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future or divination. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the most high God. And she did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They're Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them into jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. And receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. So here we meet a second person who the gospel of Jesus would come to a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, or a spirit of divination, a demon, in other words. And she had given herself over to darkness, was consumed by it, and was being taken advantage of by others in her life. Her owners, those that she had to serve the household of, they took advantage of her state. And she, she finds Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. And she starts to follow behind them saying, these men are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. They're the servants of the most high God. Now, that sounds like a bad thing, right? Sounds like she may be the hype man for the missionaries. You may want somebody doing that for you, a, a herald for you. But no, that wasn't what she was doing. It's likely that she was either mocking them saying, oh, look here. Oh, here they come. They're, they're servants of the most high God. Look at them go mocking them or she was trying to associate them with who she was and what she was doing. Yes, there are, we're all a part of the same thing. We all serve the same most high God. Not sure who the most high God would be in Philippi before Jesus was preached there, by the way. But she's following along behind them, shouting this out, trying to connect them with her, associate 
uh, them together. Hey, we're working together. And you remember how Jesus handled things when demons would give him a claim. You know, what, what, what are you here for, son of the most high? He wouldn't let them speak because the flattery of the ungodly usually has selfish motives. And so Paul let this go on for a little while before he got annoyed, probably annoyed that people are going to begin to think that Jesus is in league with the darkness that she's walking in, that Jesus is in league with the darkness that she has allowed herself to be consumed by. And so Paul, verse 18, annoyed, speaks authoritatively for the demon to come out and it comes out. And you have to imagine her condition going from affliction to quiet. So much noise in her head and in her life that was quenched and quieted in a moment when he said, come out. From a tumult on the inside of her to peace. From exploitation, because remember, she was a slave girl, to escape. She has a way out. Her owners saw that she could no longer do what it was she was doing. So there was an immediate change in her. And so the profit for them was gone. They weren't worried about her that she's doing so much better. Okay, They were worried about themselves. And so when they saw that their profit was gone, which they marched them up in front of the magistrates, and lied on them. You know, these men are Jews and they're coming here to teach us things that are not lawful for us as Romans to do. They're upsetting the apple cart. They're, they're, they're changing things around. And they had them stripped, dragged, flogged, and put into prison. And we'll get there in just a second. But I don't want to bypass a slave girl. Now she was very different from Lydia, Right? Lydia's successful, seeing a lot of good things happen in her life, probably has all the things that the slave girl wishes she had, yet she still needed Jesus. And then you have this slave girl who, as much as Lydia was successful, she was unsuccessful. She had given herself over to darkness, had been consumed by it, used and exploited. And yet they both desperately needed Jesus. And so some of us like Lydia, some of us here are like the slave girl who have been used, who have been exploited, who have, who have given ourselves over to the things of the dark and have lived our life in them for as long as we could remember. And yet the power of Jesus was mighty to deliver her from all of her trouble. You notice that the spirit left as soon as Paul commanded it to. Why? Because Jesus has authority over the powers of darkness. And you also notice that when the, the missionary spent time with Lydia and she got blessed by the gospel, good things happened for them. They got invited to stay at the home of the wealthy woman in the area. That's probably a good place to stay. Better than what they were otherwise going to be doing. Right. Did good happen for them when this young lady was delivered from darkness? No. Again, they were seized, dragged, stripped, beaten with rods, severely, it says, and handed over to the jailer with the instructions to guard them carefully. Have you ever done something kind and then taken a beating for it? Sometimes that happens. The jailer was given instructions to guard them carefully. And what did he do? He put them in the innermost prison and secured their feet 
with stocks. Now, he wasn't told to do this specifically. He was told to guard them carefully. This was his decision to put them in the innermost part of the prison. You can think the deepest, the, the lowest hole in the ground that they had and to secure their feet with stocks. Reminds me of the missionary letter we read last week from Pastor Alvin when he talked about uh, being a young man in jail in Nicaragua, which was really just a dark hole in the ground. You can think about what it would be like to be down there in the dark. There's no plumbing, by the way. And so everything stays where everything is. We won't have to go any further than that. Not a good situation. And this is, the, this is what our boys, the missionaries, are placed into. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now you have to picture them in this situation. Their feet bound in stocks. Stocks were not comfortable to be in. It kept you in an uncomfortable position and it kept you immobile where you couldn't move around. And they're in here in the innermost prison, in the darkness, in the discomfort. And they're praying to the Lord and also singing hymns and the other prisoners can hear them. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. It says they're singing. The others are listening. And then the earth begins to shake and everyone's chains come undone and how they were restricted. They're now released. How they were in prison, they've been set free. Amen. It said suddenly, now we've seen the ground shake before. We've seen God shake the ground several other instances in the New Testament. And if a huge earthquake hit a prison like this, what do you think would probably happen? It, it should just all fall in on itself, right? Instead of getting out of the prison, they should be wearing it on top of themselves. But this wasn't just any earthquake. This was sent for a reason and a purpose because with this one, the doors were opened, the chains were loosed, the, the stocks were opened. And it was enough to wake the jailer up from where he was. And he saw that the doors were open and he drew his sword to fall on it, to take his own life. Because see, this jailer was likely a retired or older Roman soldier who had been highly decorated and been given this job in his latter years as a reward for doing all the good things he had done for the Roman Empire. Now, to do good things for the Roman Empire, you had to be rather brutal. They were the ones that created crucifixion. They were the ones who invented it, came up with it. And so you picture this man, he's had to exhibit strength and might and authority in his life. He thinks a whole lot of honor, so much so that he'd rather die before being dishonored and failing at his job. Because that's what's happened. He was put in charge, not only of the prison, but these prisoners especially, and given the instruction, do not fail at this task, guard them carefully. And now he sees all the doors swinging on their hinges a failure of epic proportions with everybody watching because all that drama had happened in the community and he knows the following morning everybody's going to be looking forward to what's going to happen next. And then here he is in the middle of 
failure. And again, you think on who he is, what he's probably seen in his career, what he's probably done and been involved in as a soldier in the Roman Empire. Everything that he has engaged in, probably a lot of dark work for him too, right? He's our third person we're going to look at today. You've got, again, Lydia given to business, the hustle, wealth, making my name big. You've got the slave girl given over to darkness, witchcraft, divination. And you've got the jailer who I'm sure dealt with anger, control, used to doing things by the power and might of his own back and his own arms, handling things at the tip of the sword and dehumanizing others and able to justify it because they are the enemy. And then here he is feeling like a complete failure. He sees suicide as the only way to save his life. And how wild is that? He sees that as the best way out. And when he's about to take his own life, a voice speaks out from the dark. In verse 28, Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we are all here. Now, remember, this is the man that locked him up in the inner prison that put him in the stocks. May have been the one that oversaw the severe flogging that he received, the beating with the rods. And he sees him about to fall on his sword and he cries out from the dark. Don't do this. Don't hurt yourself because we are all here. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights. He even turned the lights out on him. It's been dark in there. He rushed in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with, ev along with everyone in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. So you look at this big change. The jailer who had locked him up in the innermost part of the prison, is now falling down before them, what does it say, trembling. Trembling or in humility and weakness. He of great strength has been brought low by Jesus Christ. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, we, you're going to love this part. <laughs> you just have to believe in Jesus. Let us tell you about him. Let us spend time with you. And he brings them in. And while he's hearing about Jesus, he's washing their wounds. Again, the same wounds he likely helped to inflict. The same ones he likely helped put on them, those stripes and bruises. He's washing their wounds as they're preaching Jesus and what he's done for this man and how salvation is available to him. And it says his whole house believed. His whole house is baptized. And they set a meal down. And he rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his whole household. See, some of us are like the jailer, addicted to anger, addicted to doing things our way. I have to control it. I have to keep everything in line. And if you won't listen, I'll make you listen. 
right? Trying to keep everything. Again, we have a desire for perfection, but we don't have the ability to attain it even though we try through control to do it. And that's what he had done his whole life, including being over the jail. We thought we had to be the ones to stand up and get everything done. Again, you have three very different people who all needed Jesus, who all received Jesus. To see him as being able to be all and for all, mighty to save. These people all had some measure of power, right? Lydia was wealthy, influence. The slave girl even had dark powers of divination, things she could actually get done by works of darkness. And then the jailer, the authority that he had over the prisoners, at least, and Jesus Christ bested all of them. He laid each one low in a different way so that he could lift them up into his kingdom. Now, an interesting question as we draw to a close today. Why did they end up in jail? Right? Preach the gospel to Lydia. You get to stay at the nice house. You get to eat the nice food. You get to enjoy a conversation with successful people. I'm sure they had a lot of great stories to tell. The slave girl set free and they end up beaten and in the innermost prison. It reminds me of what Paul said in chapter 14 when he said it is necessary to endure many hardships to enter the kingdom. Remember when he said that this is another one of those hardships that he would be looking towards. So why? God, why? Don't you think they might have wondered that for a minute? Like what in the world? Why am I in here? Can we go back to Lydia's house? Why are we here? The reason they were there is because there was somebody in there that needed reaching. There was somebody in there that needed saving. Think about when Jesus was talking to his disciples and they had been out fishing and they had fished all night and they hadn't caught anything. And he's like, push on out into the deep water. All right, Lord, we've been fishing all night. And we, you know, we understand how this works. And you had, I don't know if you fished or not, but we've been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. He's like, push out there. Now, what you also need to know is they saw the water as chaotic. They dealt with it when they had to for business, but they didn't enjoy it. There weren't any pleasure cruising. They saw it as nothing but bad can happen the further out in the water that you go. It gets more dangerous the further out in the water you go. I get more wary the further out in the water I go. But Jesus said there's certain fish you're only going to catch out there in the deep water. Let's go. Let's push out there into the deep. Why did they end up in prison? Because somebody in there needed reaching. So from his perspective, he sees these guys, he gets told, hey, they're the enemy. He's like, I know how to handle that. I'm going to handle them like they're the enemy. And boy, didn't they. Whip them good, strip them and threw them in the innermost part in those stocks. And then those same men, I don't think he heard them singing, but the other prisoners heard them singing. He's sleeping. The earth shook. All the doors are open. He walked in and saw that. He's like, they're all gone. I, I'm, I'm as good as dead. He's going to fall on his sword. And the same one that he beat the tar out of earlier says, hold on, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Not just some of us are still here, but we're all still here. You think you failed completely, but everything's going to be okay. And this is the same one that he had just laid low earlier with rods. And he trembles before them. And he says, what must I do? And he's like, you just have to believe. The same one that he had mistreated was receiving him with grace. 
the same one that he had been awful to was giving him what? Mercy. Mercy. So imagine him seeing all of that. You can real easy see what occasioned his salvation. He was able to see grace. He was able to see truth and he was able to be loved and received. Saying, what must I do to be saved? So when we ask ourselves, what am I, what am I doing here? This seems kind of a rough place. What, what, Lord, why do you have me right here? Whether this job, this family, this circle of influence, why do you have me right here? I'd sure much rather be back at Lydia's house, right? Maybe, just maybe, consider that there's somebody there that needs to see the love of Christ. That there's somebody there that needs to see what faithfulness looks like. That there's somebody there that needs to see what grace lived out looks like. Like when we ask God, why? I mean, we ask, why were they in prison? See, a lot of people ask God, why the cross? We read about it. It's awful. Why the cross? Why did he have to be crucified? Why all the shame? Why did he have to die? Why couldn't you just forgive people? Why not just forget your God? Why don't you just forgive? Because there was a debt. There was a debt that had to be paid. Every debt has to be paid. Well, he could have just forgave. He did. He paid the debt. He paid the debt. When you look at the cross, the cross represents to us how dark, how awful, how terrible our sin was. That was what we deserved. Death and shame. Rebels against the throne. That was us. Even if we were Lydia, that was us. That was us. And God is a just God. But instead of pouring out his wrath on us, he chose not to pour out his wrath on us, but to give us Jesus Christ so that we might have life through him. Why the cross? Because every debt has to be paid. Every single debt, sin debt, has to be paid. The cross, that's where we were headed. They went to the prison because that's where people were. They needed people to be gotten out of there. The cross is where we were headed. Death is where we were headed without an answer and without a hope. And so he went there for us. We were like those who were in prison with Paul and Silas. Stocked and locked. Couldn't, couldn't get up. Couldn't even stand. It's a, and again, it's uncomfortable. But here's one thing I learned just in studying this, about this, the, these types of prisons. When they had stocks that they would lock them in, guess where they didn't have locks? On the doors. They were just latched. They didn't need locks on the doors because you couldn't get up. If you weren't in the stocks, you could just stand up and walk out. I don't want to be anymore. I think I'll leave. Zero stars. Don't want to be here anymore. That was us in our sin. The door's right there. If we could just get up, if we could just get unstuck, if we could just get out, we could just walk out the door and everything would be different. But in sin, we couldn't get up and we couldn't get out. Dirty, pain, shame, hurt. We couldn't get out. No hope of getting up. Some of those doors could even be open. 
doesn't matter. I couldn't walk through it because I'm stocked and locked right here on the floor. That's our heart without the resurrection. We're just like those guys in the, in, in the cells around Paul and Silas. But see, then they heard something. They heard somebody praying. And they heard somebody singing. Probably started off faint at first. I mean, and you're going to listen. You ain't got nothing else to do. You're sitting there in the dark. And then you hear a song that sounds like hope. Sounds like somebody singing. See, we were stuck in a prison like that in our sin. And just like they went in because somebody had to come out, Christ came into where we were. Because the children share in flesh and bone, he also shared in flesh and bone so that he could defeat the one who held the power of death, that is the devil, and free us who were all our lives held captive by the fear of death. He entered into where we were. He came to this earth and he showed us what grace and truth and faithfulness looked like. John 1 says that he said he, he was the image of the father, full of grace and truth. He showed us what truth really was. He talked about the kingdom. He talked about the way to the father. And even then, when he went to the cross, they thought all hope was lost. They thought this is it. It's all over. We thought the kingdom was coming. It's not. He's been crucified. We saw him carry his body off, laid by Joseph of Arimathea in the tomb. And here I am, still in these stocks. He's crucified, dead, and buried. And then the ground began to shake. And the stone was rolled away. And he took what should have been our end death like that earthquake should have brought the house down on top of them should have killed them but instead it brought their complete freedom death should have been the earthquake on top of our head it should have brought everything down around us we should have been crushed underneath it just like samson and the philistines i remember that one we should have been crushed by it and what did he do he kicked out the other end of it so that we could walk right on through it and into eternity and life with him what should have been our shameful end is now our hope of life eternal. It's, our, it, it, it's the purification point, the final one before we pass from this life and into the next. But when that ground shook at the resurrection, it also shook the stocks of sin that we were held captive in. What if we would just believe? The locks on those come undone. And guess what? The door is standing open. All those guys, they didn't leave. They didn't leave. I was wondering, God, is this some kind of mind control or something? How did you keep, I understand Paul and Silas, they're like, we know God is doing something. But the other guys are just like, they're still there. They were in prison. They were prisoners. Again, they had made some bad decisions. They should have gotten up and left. Why didn't they? Maybe they wanted to hear more about the one that shook the walls. Maybe they wanted to hear more about the one that set them free. Maybe finally they experienced some power in their life. And they're like, I don't want to just run off back into what my life was before. I want to see what this is all about. Especially when you see the jailer come in and fall down at the feet of these men and say, what do I have to do to where your God is my God?
And I hope that they found the same thing we read about that he found there in uh, verse 34, that he rejoiced with his whole household because he had come to believe. He rejoiced because he had come to believe. Why? Because he knew what he used to be like. And he, he was accepted even when he was like that. And the door was open for him too. He felt those chains come off of him too. He felt those stocks unlocked for him as well. Amen. So again, whether we come in and we're like Lydia, we're successful, we've even been religious, but Christ hasn't been the king of our heart. He's there for us. If we've been exploited by darkness and those who walked in darkness with us, like the slave girl, we've seen a lot of bad things and we've had a lot of bad things done to us. He is there for us. If we're the jailer, we've been walking around angry and mad most of our life, trying to do things by the strength of our own hands and trying to control situations. It better not get out of line because I can't handle that if it does. We've got to get everything back in here, which isolates us from everybody that would ever care about us. And we're just all alone. Grace for him as well. And the story ends with him rejoicing because he's believed. Jesus went to the cross for each one of them. He went to the cross for each one of us. He came down from heaven to be with them and to be with us so that we could be with him for all of eternity. Starting now so that we don't have to walk in any of those lifestyles anymore. But we walk in the newness of life, just like Christ did when he was raised from the dead. Even when there was no hope. Two of them at least. That Lydia may have still had hope in her riches. I don't know. She would have found out that they were deceitful before the end. But the other two were at the end of the rope. I'm at the end of the rope here. The jailer, complete failure, front of everybody. Embarrassed, ashamed. My whole life up to this, and I've just let it fall all to pieces. What did Jesus do? He picked up the pieces. That's what he came to do. That's what he came to do, is set the captives free. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that no matter how we found ourselves before you found us, you're mighty to save. Lord, whatever our direction was into the darkness, into the self-delusion and into the pride, you came for us so that we wouldn't have to be Alone, We've proven our, our track record is not good. We, we make bad decisions on our own. We hurt ourselves and others when we're on our own. God, but in you, we have hope. And you saw us in pain and in bondage, dirty and ashamed. You saw us and you came and you entered into the prison that we were in, this prison of existence here on earth. You took on flesh and bone like us. You lived and walked this earth like us so that you would be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. You took on our weakness so that you could give us your strength. On the cross, you took on our unrighteousness so that we might in you be made righteous. And I thank you that when we are united with you, we have we, we go from no hope to complete hope, everlasting hope, a hope that is not shaken, a hope that is not diminished, a hope that does not wear out. You are our great and living hope. 
Thank you for the resurrection, the declaration that your sacrifice was sufficient, that you overwhelmed death so we don't, we don't any longer have to be afraid of it. And Lord, whether we come to you like Lydia, like the slave girl, or like the jailer who said, what must I do to be saved? I thank you that the answer, no matter where we come from or how we get there, is the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that your love and mercy is for us, that your grace is sufficient, and your strength is made perfect in our weakness. If you're far from him today or you're almost home, it's just that simple to believe that he is who he said he is and that the tomb is empty declaring that his promises are true and I promise he is more than enough and when those locks come off don't turn around and run right back into your old life what you were doing before but stay around him learn more about the one who set you free because you're going to spend the rest of your life worshiping him isn't he good? Father, as we leave today, this Resurrection Sunday, I thank you that we are ever mindful of how big you are and how good you are towards us. Lord, as we leave, I thank you that we do so in peace and in unity with one another. And as we go out today and sit around these tables, that we rejoice and we feast over who you are and what you've done, celebrating that he is risen. He is risen indeed. And I thank you that we'll be able to walk the rest of our life in newness, just like the jailer, in newness and joy because of what you've done for us. Not anything that we've done, but what you've done for us. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.